0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hi there. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Today is Saturday, September 2nd. Uh, I'm here with my buddy Drew Silva. We're going to be talking about some September call-ups. It's a little different than in the past. We're going to have to get used to it. No more of these 40-man rosters that you're going to see, but there are some intriguing names, both prospects and real-life players that have been called up. But before we get into that, we'll talk about some headlines. And, Drew, I think we have to start with something that's uh, pretty scary. Max Scherzer leaving with tightness in his forearm.
2: Yeah, Um he was making his sixth start for the Rangers after being acquired from the Mets and had pitched really well up until the point where he left, uh, struck out seven, allowed just one hit in six innings, uh, 88 pitches when he departed with that forearm tightness. He really downplayed it after the start. This is kind of a common thing. Um, I'm concerned, but from what he said, like, you know, he, he got into the sixth inning, his location was, starting to be off. Um, He felt like he was at his limit. He felt like in the rest of his arm was fine. He just had a little bit of fatigue and soreness in the lower part of his arm. Didn't want to like, you know, he he said, if it was, you know, if it was going to become a forearm strain, he'd have to miss the rest of the year. So he stopped it. It's just one of those situations. We don't really know exactly what he's dealing with right now he thinks that he's going to be able to make his next start it wouldn't be surprising if he at least gets a little bit of extra rest the rangers can can do that even though they're in a very tight race there in the american league west um and for an american league wild card spot um yeah and we just don't have enough information to to really like make a determination on on what this injury is
1: yeah it's and it's disappointing too because he was pitching so well in that game six innings just mm-hmm. the one hit Two walks, seven strikeouts against the Twins. Uh, Minnesota ends up coming back and winning that game five to one. But like you said, we'll just have to play the wait and see game here. Definitely one you got to be prepared for, though, because Scherzer can say whatever he wants. And Scherzer has said a lot of stuff and then ended up missing a little bit of time. He's been not undurable by any stretch of the imagination. Undurable, I don't think that's a word, but that's okay. Um, it's just one of those things where you're going to have to pay close attention because Shirts has been awesome since that trade. A lot of really strong starts, uh, really outside of one start against Milwaukee. And Milwaukee has been as hot as any team in baseball. He has been absolutely worth it, but something we're going to have to pay close attention to. Uh Danny I will say James, that he kind oh, of he,
2: he kind of he, he knows his body well, you know. Like he he usually is a good at like self-diagnosing things. There have mm-hmm. been all a lot of different things that have popped up. Over the last few years, which is understandable for a guy with that much mileage on his body, Um, the back, you know, the the shoulder, now the forearm. Uh, I kind of believe him more than I believe some other pitchers just because I feel like he's got a good feel for exactly what's going on. But again, yeah, we'll, we'll find out, you know, early next week exactly what what this means.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Danny Jansen suffers a fractured right middle finger when stuff uh, got struck by a foul ball in the sixth inning on Friday against Colorado. Uh, Another more find out more situation thing. uh, Of course, Alejandro Kirk going to get more playing time. But Jansen, I think, has been kind of an underrated uh, option for Toronto, not just as a offensive player, but as a much better defensive player. All due respect to Alejandro Kirk. Uh, much better defensive play. This is a big loss for fantasy managers and the Blue Jays, potentially.
2: Yeah, suffered that fractured, like, knuckle on his right middle finger, the exposed finger when Nolan Jones fouled a a, a ball back into him. Um, You know, for now, they're saying he's going to go for more tests. This is definitely going to be an IL stint. And the last time he had a fractured finger, I think it was, like, near his pinky last year, that's right. I missed a full month. It wouldn't surprise me if he's out until late September, even early October, you know, depending on if the Blue Jays are able to get into the playoffs. And it's a, it's a big downgrade defensively for them. It's nice if you're a fantasy manager with Alejandro Kirk, who has been a disappointment this year, but is definitely going to be playing regularly now. Um, sure. He's had to sometimes cycle in at DH, but Brandon Belt's been very good over the last handful of months. Um, So that DH spot has largely been occupied by belt. At least Kirk is going to be getting into the everyday lineup um, and mm-hmm. bringing a lot more offensive. Well, Jansen has been better offensively o- over the long haul this year, but um, I, I you know, I, I would, I would be excited about what Kirk can bring in, in more of an everyday role. And yeah, I mean, I, I think this is going to be probably a, a multi-week potentially like four yeah. plus week type of injury for, for Jansen. That's usually how these, finger fractures usually go, especially it's on his throwing hand.
1: Yeah. And it, the thing is, too, even when he's able to come back, he's probably not going to be the same player, especially uh, defensively. It is very hard. Thumb injuries and finger injuries for catchers are often ones that they I listened to him talk about it a lot. They they love to complain those catchers. Now, it's, it's just something that is going to be something that's a lingering in effect all year but a big loss for sure. Uh, Another potential loss is Jose Altuve. He exited Friday's game uh, 6-2 loss with a left leg contusion, fell the ball off his left leg, exited that next inning. Jose Altuve has been pretty darn good this year, Drew, and what's another wait and see thing for a year that where Jose Altuve has been pretty darn good, but not able to stay on the field all that much.
2: Yeah, he he walked off the field pretty gingerly, but it I don't know. It could have just been a, a bone bruise kind of sure. not a bone bruise like a like a stinger. Um he said he feels like he's going to be able to play at, at some point this weekend. He's going to wear a shin guard moving forward that that'll hopefully prevent aggravating the bruise. I, I don't think this is an IL stint for now. It's just a day-to-day type of situation that we'll have the monitor and Yeah, I mean, when Altuve's been healthy this season, like you look at what the Astros offense has done over the last week, it's like historic level. They've been setting franchise records for for hits in like a five game span. And he's he's what stirs the drink, man, at the top of the lineup and yeah, 913 OPS, 312 batting average, 10 homers, 13 steals in only 65 games when healthy this year. Um, the Astros are in the thick of a, a division title race. They need him back as quickly as possible. It's not a situation where they're they're going to be able to to rest him, you know, to make sure he's a hundred percent. But it sounds like something he's he's going to be able to play through, even though even if there is a little bit of lingering discomfort in that shin.
1: Yep, but again, something you got to be cognizant of here because uh, the, they're just. it's the late hitting stuff late game stuff he's certainly gonna try we'll see how effective he is and see if he's even able to like stolen bases may not be a thing for a little while he's not running as much as he used to anyway but that's definitely potentially a big loss for a guy who i think somewhat quietly and partially may be due to the fact that people just don't really like jose altuve has put together a pretty darn good year uh Hunter Green, he's among three pitchers that were placed on the COVID-19 list. Uh, He's going to be out at least seven days. Uh, David Bell saying he could pitch any time after that. He could start on Friday, but that would be the earliest. Green struggled after coming off the injured list, but actually had a pretty promising start in his last outing. Interesting to see how they go here, because Cincinnati, absolutely in the playoff race, And just a reminder that, uh, you know, we're not going to get political on this thing, but no, we are not done with COVID-19 injured list stints and not by a long shot.
2: I don't really think it's a political issue, but I guess it was made into one.
1: Everything's political, technically, Drew.
2: No, it's, it's been spiking again everywhere. I, I had it, uh, in August again, I think it's like the fourth time I've had it. And it was a, it was a pretty rough case. Um, not as bad as the one that I had like last winter, which was just debilitating, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's spiking again. It it could play a factor into, you know, it's probably going to be really spiking going into October, um, which is unfortunate, but it's, it's the world we live in now. And, yeah. Who's to say when green is going to start again. I think the earliest he could return is what September 8th. He'll have to be usually on in, in health and safety protocols for seven days. Uh, we've talked about green a lot on this show. He's been a little bit worse than I, I think we expected from, we, we wanted to see a step forward and, and run prevention and, and whip like walks and hits per inning, but the strikeouts sure. are always there. The upside for the strikeouts is always there when he's taking the out. He has what? A hundred and, 14 of them in 85 and a third innings this year. The Reds need him back. I am I mean, they, I'm sure they would have liked to have claimed some of the pitchers that went to the Guardians um, they sure at tried. the waiver deadline. They did get two outfielders, and yeah. Harrison Bader and Hunter Renfro. I, I like their team actually a whole lot better now, but um, Nick Lodolo's done for the year. They officially confirmed that this week. He had another stress reaction in his tibia while, while on minor league rehab assignment. So they're bleeding in in the starting rotation. Um, you know thankfully they're in the NL Central and they're in the NL wildcard Card race, so they're still alive because all those teams are flawed. Um, sure. But this is this is going to be tough sledding. Losing Green for at least one turn in the rotation, likely two, and and perhaps even longer.
1: Yeah, and to be uh, to give you the exact stats of what I was talking about. Gave up 13 earned runs in a total of six and two-thirds innings over the first two starts, and then he allowed one run and only three hits through five and a third in that victory over the Giants. Uh, finally, before we get into the second half of the show, Drew, the rules are not changing. They are keeping the pitch clock for the postseason, and I just wanted to ask you, are you happy about it? Are you indifferent about it? How are you feeling about it?
2: I haven't thought a ton about the pitch clock since pretty early on in the season. It, it, yeah. it seems like everybody adjusted really well. Um, we talked about, I, I think even the pitchers made a better adjustment to use it to their advantage. Cause you can kind of lock a batter into the box and, and know, you know, like when, when, when you want to start your delivery, how you want to set it up, your, are kind of, the, the pitchers kind of gained an advantage. So the way that people have adjusted, it reminds me of like, when replay first hit the scene and there were like whole Twitter accounts dedicated to replay reviews because it was a fascinating thing at first. Um, And then once everybody got used to it, it was just part of the sport. And I I feel like that's what we're seeing with the pitch clock. And I think it's been really good for baseball. Just anecdotally, I, I know a lot of people who have been more fascinated in this baseball season because the games have a way better flow, like watching them on TV or attending them live. Um, and I would agree with that. And I think it makes sense to to keep the same rules for the postseason. I, I would hate to see a postseason game end on a pitch clock violation. I, I think That's like I for think. or maybe even like the final out of the inning, they, they could turn it off. Um but I, I get why Major League Baseball is saying, no, we're not gonna like give any leeway on it. This is the way that the game's gonna be played now. Um I think generally it's it's been a success that that pitch clock.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And I'm not surprised as somebody who has gotten used to it from minor league games, I knew people were going to get used to this thing. I'm seeing a lot less of the hitter not looking up with 10 seconds and all of that stuff, Mm -hmm. which is, look, my issue with that is not so much the rule part of it. It is that you're given authority to some groups of people that I don't necessarily think are great at their job and sometimes have a, a a want to make their presence known. Like, can you imagine Joe West, by the way, during the pitch clock era? Like just how unbelievably known Joe West would be during those situations. But I I think it's fine. And play with the rules that you played in the regular season. I'm totally fine with that. Um, I am also okay with not having the zombie runner at second base in postseason games as well. Like, I do think that that is the one different rule that we should have for the postseason, just because it's just not real. <laughs> it's just not real. Would you agree with that, Drew?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. it's, it's silly. I, I, I don't like it. I'm a bit of a baseball purist. I get why <laughs> you would want to have that in the regular season to, to just wrap up some games. Um, I don't like you taking a shot at my boy, Joe West. You know, we've, no, we've had some beers together and I, I made him cry one time. Um, at, at Filoni's, actually, like one of the mom and pop St. Louis pizza places in town here. And actually, Phil Cuzzy and Tom Hallian showed up at my wedding because I had it at, at Filoni's. And so uh, I talked to them for a while. So I, I'm an umpire stand just because th- a couple of them have bought me beers and showed up at my wedding here and there.
1: St. Louis pizza and Joe West is like literally a nightmare. Like that would be the type of thing <laughs> where like I would have to go into therapy. So I'm, I'm happy for you but yikes, we'll get into these September call-ups, but first we're gonna take just a quick commercial break.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: We know the weather can impact how far a ball can fly, but we never really know what all that heat and humidity or cold air is really doing to the ball. The Home Run Forecast Index gives us an easy way to determine how good, or bad, The air is for ball flight. The index is calculated by measuring stadium-specific weather conditions and is displayed on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being the most unfavorable for good ball flight and 10 indicating the most favorable air. There is a strong correlation between the index and the number of runs scored per game and the number of home runs hit. Games that have that highest index, 10, for the whole game average over 10 runs and 2.8 homers over the course of the year. An index is created for each game, so you can see what it will be in any stadium and how the weather's influence might change over the course of the game, as well as the wind direction. Right now, you can get access to the HRF Premium site for only $5 a month and see what the index will look like for every hour of every game. Go to homerunforecast.com now to sign up. All right, so let's take a look at those second half, or second half, second half of something. Let's take a look at those September calls. And first, Drew, I'll ask since we were talking about, do you like this? Do you like that? Do you like the rosters only expanding to 28 for September?
2: That's a good question. I, I haven't thought about it in a while. I, I It makes my job easier. having to to, like know of fewer players and being able to track depth charts and and batting orders on a given night or day um so i'm okay with that it was i think maybe it was a little bit more fascinating when you could bring up anyone that was on your your 40-man roster in in terms of like fantasy um it created like some position battles late in the season that were more interesting. but saying that, like I, there are some interesting names that we're going to talk about here, like some some guys in maybe situations where teams are non contending and just want to play some young guys and uh, some situations where there are interesting players who are joining some contenders. If if just for bench help, if if like, you know, there I think I think two is good, a pitcher and a, and a hitter. That's fine. That's all you should really need. It it was it was sort of ridiculous to have like twenty man bullpens down the stretch. Yeah, this is this is a lot. This is a lot better. I I, I kind of feel bad because it's it 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 helps the ownerships out where they don't have to you yes. know put out some game checks for guys that might not be huge contributors but yeah Um I think you know it was probably more of a business move than a real life baseball move but I'm okay with the way it, it's played out since they made the change and, and the way it works in a real life baseball sense
1: yeah I mean I get it from that perspective and it's not fun for the fans to go to a game and see a bunch of guys you've never heard of I get it from that perspective I'm you know it's similar to how people get mad in the NBA when So you buy a $100 ticket and Steph Curry has a rest day, or you buy a $100 ticket and LeBron James isn't playing. I I get it from that point. But I also think, you know, especially when you have these rules now where a pitcher has to face three batters and stuff like that, I'm okay with adding some more bullpen arms. I, I don't think it's a bad thing to have those guys up and keep arms fresh so that we have less injuries at the end of the year, less injuries to begin the next year because guys are getting overworked. But I do understand, hey, A pitcher and a hitter that makes it simpler and it certainly makes our job easier goodness gracious like when there's 15 guys being called up and having to write every single one of those we do appreciate that we're huge rob manfred fans on the show and thank you rob for allowing umpires
2: and commissioners
1: umpires and commissioners we just love them all so i'm going to be handling the al call-ups Drew's going to be handling handling the nl call-ups and i'll just start with somebody who made a pretty big impact to start things, Jason Dominguez. Dominguez homers in his first at-bat against Justin Verlander, youngest Yankee to ever homer in his first at-bat at the age of 20. I think everyone here has heard of Dominguez, whether you're a big fan of baseball cards, the Jason Dominguez chase was one of the most insane things I've ever seen in my entire life, Drew. Um, Or if you're just a fan of prospects, a guy who signed for a massive bonus and automatically went from being a 16-year-old to someone who looked like a middle linebacker playing baseball who could do a little bit of everything. I mean, you remember, Drew, seeing those Instagram posts of him taking batting practice and saying, that's a 17-year-old? Holy crap on a cracker. Um, Very talented guy who played well in AAA, did not play all that well in AA, to be honest with you, and that's one of the reasons why I was a little bit skeptical here. But in terms of potential fantasy impact, I think he ranks with the best just because he is going to get a lot of playing time. He is a guy who possesses plus power. He does possess plus plus speed. If you're desperate, I think he's a pretty intriguing option. Yeah.
2: He was very young when he rose to double A at the end of the 2022 season. He was young to start there this year. He -hmm. was young to rise to triple A. He's young to be in the majors, as, as you mentioned. Um, but like, yeah, around like the beginning of July this year is when he really turned it on, which is, you know, he had a pretty disappointing kind of first half on that double a, but then caught fire, which prompted the promotion to triple a. I like to see that. I like to see a guy who has to adjust to a level and and makes that adjustment and and hit fifth, hit fifth for the Yankees in his debut. Aaron Boone has said he's going to be the everyday center fielder down the stretch. So, I mean, they, they lost Harrison Bader on a waiver claim. They're not playing for anything Mm -hmm. this year anymore. They're, they're playing to, you know, we've talked about this, um, you know, in a different time, this is probably more marketing than like let's win baseball games. Like let's actually get the, get the fans interested, but on an individual talent basis, it's obviously there with Jason Dominguez. So then fantasy, like the long-term upside is there. And why couldn't he be productive over these final four weeks? I, I, I think he's a must add given the situation that he's going to play every day, that he's going to hit near the heart of the order. He improved the Yankees batting order, which is surprising that a 20 year old can do that, but that's, that's their situation.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And I I'll talk about real quick uh, another Yankee, and then you can get into a couple of Mets if you don't mind. Um, Austin Wells, the main scattering report here is, holy crap, that mustache, that is one of the most beautiful mm. that we have in all of baseball. And we have some good ones on the Yankees, man. We have some good mustaches going. Austin Wells fits in just fine. Uh, he was called up and went one for four in his debut, a first-round pick out of Arizona. He's shown the makings of plus power. Um, not a guy that I expect to hit for a high average, but maybe a decent on-base play because he has a pretty solid approach to the plate. Left-handed hitter, getting to hit into that right field wall is not always a bad thing either for New York Yankees guys. Second catcher, maybe, like if you're kind of not desperate, but just like looking for some impact for, you know, if you lost Danny Jansen, maybe take a look at Austin Wells as a guy that could be a, a quick little fantasy replacement. I would certainly rank Dominguez ahead of him because of the chance to hit for power and to steal bases. Austin Wells is not going to do that. But there's certainly worth look. Uh, uh, there are certainly worse players to take a look at for these final few weeks.
2: Yeah, I, I just don't expect Wells to like play every single day. Um, Kyle Higashioka and Ben Fed are going to are they're going to work in those guys? And
1: I um, think some of that's yeah, going to real quick just going to depend on how the Yankees yeah. are. Like if they are completely sure. out of this thing, I think you're going to see Austin Wells get more playing time than those guys.
2: I mean they are completely out of this thing.
1: That's fair. Right.
2: <laughs> I mean, I, I've I haven't looked at the standings in a bit. Maybe I need to check myself. But they're what they're they're bad. three games under five They're nine yeah. and a half games back of the third. It's over. AL Card. It's over. It's over. Yeah. Which is all right. Um, yeah. On the <laughs> NL side, I, I would say it isn't isn't quite as interesting as the AL side. You took the mm. He showed her the biggest, the bigger <laughs> loot. I mean, you know, once, once we get into like s- beyond these top prospects, it's just not that interesting in general, but yeah, starting with um, Ronnie Mauricio, the Mets top infield prospect who ripped a double in his very first major league at bat Friday night against the Mariners, part of a two, one yeah. win. I think it was for New York. Um Correct. And that double came off Mauricio's bat at 117.3 miles per hour. That's the hardest oh, hit ball that any Mets player has hit this season. It's the 11th hardest hit ball across the entire majors this year. Um, He showed well defensively at second base too, was pretty active there with some, some double plays and some grounders Um, came up as a shortstop, you know, only played shortstop until the end of last year's minor league season before the Mets asked him to start working in at second base and a little at third base and even some left field, It looks like he's going to be their primary second baseman down the stretch with Jeff McNeil playing more in the outfield. The Mets are going to play the young guys. Uh, Brett Beatty, too. I I can touch on him in a bit, but, you know, Brett Beatty should start against all right-handers at third base. Uh, Mauricio also had a single and a strikeout among his three at-bats Friday in his big league debut He was batting 292 with an 852 OPS, 23 homers, and 24 stolen bases in 116 games this summer with Triple A Syracuse. 22 years old, should, should, and you know, I think could definitely be a big part of the future in Queens. Something for Mets fans to get excited about as that team plays out the string on a massively disappointing 2023 season. I think a must add. Uh, if he hasn't been added already in all relevant fantasy formats, I think Jason Dominguez and Ronnie Mauricio are are the two definite must adds that we're going to talk about. Um, yeah, with that power speed profile that Mauricio has, and in the long term, you know, we could be talking about multiple position eligibility depending on where he fits into the mix. Athletic enough to play a lot of different positions. They're locked into Francisco Lindor at shortstop, so probably won't be short. Uh, but second base would make a lot of sense and even some corner outfield.
1: Absolutely. And he could be, you know, he could be that next We love talking about it. That next Ben Zobras type, a guy who can play all over the field. Maybe he's a guy who plays a bunch of second base, a bunch of left field. No reason to think he couldn't handle right field. No reason to think he maybe someday could play some center field for you as well. It's interesting because I've been following him as a guy who has been writing about these prospects. Uh, imminent arrivals every Wednesday, I give you my top 10 redraft prospects and he's been near the top and it's been when are they going to do this when are they going to do this and then he actually scuffled he had like a 672 OPS in the months of June and July but was much better uh, down the stretch and I think he's got a chance to be really successful I think at short term there's going to be some bitter with the better for certain Um, just because you know approach isn't great and there's definitely some swing and a miss in that profile but you see what he's capable of. You can't be too untalented if you're hitting a baseball 117, gosh dang, miles per hour, man, and a good against a good pitcher too, and Logan Gilbert. So, yeah, I do like Mauricio. Um, in terms of pure prospect rankings, I think the name that is the best that was called up is Colton Cowser, and I understand why people are going to be very hesitant because you're going to take a look at his major league numbers and they're awful. 77 plate appearances, and he hit 115 with a 148 slugging percentage, didn't hit a homer, stole the just one base. But if you take a look at the metrics, he was considerably better than that. Now, being better than a 115 average is not exactly hard. It is darning with faint phrase to be sure. But his hard hit percentage was at 42.5. His walk percentage was at 17%, which shows you just how good this guy's approach was. And he was excellent in the minor leagues. Excellent. He put up Some of the best numbers in AAA, even with a scuffle late, which we see all the time, prospects who get sent down to AAA, you know, maybe have a little bit of a motivation issue, but certainly um, not a reason to panic. My only issue with Kowser is how much is he going to play? How much is Colton Kowser actually going to get in the lineup? My guess is not a ton, but I still want to keep an eye on him because if he does get a chance to play, the talent is there for him to be a really successful player. More of a 2024 play, and honestly, it wouldn't shock me if the Orioles do um, get aggressive this offseason, knowing that their window is now. It wouldn't shock me if Colton Cowser was the type of guy that they moved, because, you know, they yep. do have some depth in the outfield. They have depth everywhere, true. It's absolutely, they're building something really special, except for starting pitching, of course, but You know, I hopefully that that certainly makes sense to move Colton Kowser for a frontline starter type of thing. Definitely a guy I'm keeping an eye on for 2024, no matter what. But don't just look at the numbers that he's put up so far and think that this is a bust. I think there still is some chance for success if he does get enough playing time.
2: Uh, Circling back to the Mets, I meant to expand on Brett Beatty, who also got the start in Friday's game against the Mariners at third base, batting eighth. Mauricio was batting ninth. Beatty went one for three with a single, um, which actually snapped an 0 for 21 stretch dating back to his last stint in the majors, which it stretched all the way from mid-April when they called him up to early August when they sent him down. Now he's back up. Um, so he got an extended opportunity there, a very extended opportunity, and did not produce. And yeah, I mean, right now you look at like the what he's done so far in the majors dating back to last year, a two thirteen average, two eighty-four on base. 332 slugging percentage and 356 plate appearances at baseball's highest level. But, you know, Beatty has lit it up at every level of the minors. We love our post-type guys as fantasy analysts. Beatty strikes out a good amount. Um, He struggled badly against left-handed pitching, but I'd say he's like a fantasy consideration in deeper leagues, like a corner infield spot, leagues that allow for daily lineup moves, put them in that corner infield spot when the Mets are facing a right-handed starter, uh, because again, the Mets are they're going to play their youngsters, and sure. maybe Beatty is finally ready to to handle some major league pitching. He hasn't really proven it yet, but you know the AAA numbers, the AA numbers all suggest this is a very talented hitter um, who, you know, has, has hit some bumps in the road. Like, you know, like a lot of young hitters do like a lot of young pitchers do. It happens.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I still think that he was showing some quality at bats too, even when the results weren't there, like the approach, maybe he actually has to be a guy who's a little more aggressive, to be honest with you, like, or assertive, at least, yeah. you know, that's something we see from a lot of prospects. That's could be true for Kowser as well. That like, yeah, it's great to draw these walks. That's the advanced stats that we love to see the OBP, but that can only take you so far. You, got, you do have to give pitchers a reason to not throw you quality strikes. So that is definitely a name I'm more of a long-term fan than a, a short-term fan. Corner infield, NL only type of stuff. Sure, I'm taking a look, but uh, a more of a, certainly more of a long-term play, not giving up on Beatty. Uh, Drew, you talked about how we didn't have to write up a whole lot of transactions. Uh, the Los Angeles the Angels. Angels were the <laughs> yeah. exception. The, the Angels decided that, hey, this is this is transaction time, baby. And they called up a bunch of guys with the basic and I'm not making this up motto of tell the young kids to have fun. That is basically what was told to these guys. Hey, it's a good motto. But one of those young guys that I am taking keeping an eye on is Kyron Paris, who got the call from actually double up. Hit 255, which is not terribly impressive, but a 393 on base percentage, 417 slugging percentage, not great, 14 homers, stole 44 bases, was in the lineup yesterday, went 0 for, full, 0 for 2, excuse me, but did get on twice, did show that plate appearance, hit one ball hard, 50% hard hit rate, will do you pretty well in the long term. I like the skill set here for a long term potential in fantasy. Um, Not a lot of pop, but I do think that he's going to get on base. He's going to steal bases. He's a solid defensive player. He can play both shortstop and second base. And look, if you're in need for that stolen bases, which is weird to say in this year, stolen bases are at a not exactly at a premium, but I do think he is going to get a chance to run over these next few weeks. I think it's worth a look as a middle infield type. Like if you're category hunting and you should be, it's September 2nd. I do think Kyron Paris is a nice play. Give him an extra bonus add up for on-base percentage leagues. I think that's true for Couser. I think that's true for Beatty as well. Um, just don't expect a whole lot of power and expect some bitter with the better. But Kyron Paris is certainly an interesting play.
2: The Angels had a whole line change in, in their bullpen to use a <laughs> hockey term. They called up five different relievers after losing some pitchers on waivers. Yeah. Um, I had to write up all of those. It was, it was fun. Okay? It's, it's hard to like f- figure out what to, s- I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in there. It's it was just, it, it becomes like hard to figure out what to say about this next low leverage reliever, this next middle reliever. I don't know. He, <laughs> he's not going to be relevant in fantasy. That's the note. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, al- another name of interest on the NL side, uh, Alexander Canario of the Cubs who was part of their return from the Giants for Chris Bryant Mm -hmm. uh, back at the 2021 trade deadline. And Canario had a monstrous first full season in the Cubs minor league system in 2022, had an 899 OPS, 37 home runs, 23 stolen bases and 125 games between high A South Bend, double A Tennessee and triple A Iowa. This year missed some time with shoulder and ankle injuries, uh, but an 866 OPS with eight homers and two steals in 36 games at triple a when healthy canario didn't play in in either half of the cubs doubleheader against the reds on friday even though he was on the roster this isn't a ronnie mauricio or even a brett Beatty situation where he's going to get a ton of playing time down the stretch because hey the cubs are fighting for something the nl central title or an nl wild card spot and they're not at all thin in the outfield where canario plays like ian Happ is is going to be in left. Cody Bellinger, Mike Talkman's is going to be in center field. Seiya Suzuki's is going to be in right. Christopher Morell cycles into the outfield mix as well. Um, there's just not really a spot for him. He's most likely going to be a bench option for Chicago. He at least like offers some dynamic ability in that bench role, kind of a spark plug in reserve type of player. Now, yeah. maybe if there's an injury to one of those outfielders, we can reevaluate it. But this is most likely just going to be a cup of coffee, learn the ropes type of deal for the twenty-three year old. Um, the Cubs, on on the flip side, also called up one-time All-Star closer Shane Green, yeah. who had been working in a in a starting role at AAA Iowa since being signed to a minor league contract in late June, and he pitched really well in that starting role at AAA, a two point one six ERA, twenty strikeouts in five starts, covering twenty and a third innings. They were mostly shorter starts, and it would appear right now that the Cubs are just going to use him in his typical relief role, maybe handling multiple innings, though, which could be a value down the stretch as they try to save some of their starters. Um, Green's last major league start was way back in 2016. He's racked up 67 major league saves between that start and the present day, uh, but he's doubtful to climb into the the saves mix in Chicago, probably not any real fantasy relevance here but good for green fighting his way back to the majors at age 34
1: completely forgot but it's funny i completely forgot about a couple of things i forgot about shane green entirely and i also forgot uh, and i remembered this just a couple of days ago because chris uh, grant brisby posted about it when he said uh talking about the giants re-signing chris bryant i don't remember chris bryant being on the giants even a little bit i was like,
2: gonna ask I, if you remember the yeah
1: It's just like I see it kind of in my head, and he actually played pretty darn well for them. Uh, Grant put it a very different way for how well he played compared to how the other players played in that 2021 playoffs. But uh, yeah, I just don't remember it at all. I know a lot of Cubs fans were disappointed to see Canario instead of Pete Crow Armstrong, but for all the reasons Mm. you laid out, that's why Pete Crow Armstrong isn't up. You need Pete Crow Armstrong playing every day. I wouldn't be shocked if crow armstrong did get a shot before the end of the year and if he does he's absolutely a must add because he's a guy who can hit for average steal bases he is probably the best defensive prospect in baseball right now like regardless of position he can flat out go get it always gets 80 grades for his defense so it would be somewhat i would actually be more surprised if he didn't make his debut than he did at this point just because especially if the cubs are like a game or so out like yeah, just add Pete Crow Armstrong to your roster. See what he can do. He can certainly at least help you in the late innings. It, it's worth the service time stuff to absolutely add him to the roster. But Canario's a nice player. Long term, I think he's got a shot to be a good one. Cubs are building something nice here. They've got some really nice prospects on the way. And the uh, Canario sort of gets lost in the shuffle, but he has a chance to be a helper. Um, Tyler Soderstrom. A uh, guy that has been on my imminent arrival list for a while. Did not have a whole hell of sex success at the major league level. What a Freudian slip that one just was, Drew. Uh, I, I think most
2: major leaguers are having plenty of sex, Chris. <laughs>
1: Thanks, man. Wait to, it's 9.38 in the morning, my time. Why are we talking about this? Uh, first round pick who has shown the potential to hit for average and power at the highest level. Look, if Tyler Soderstrom wasn't eligible at catcher, I'm probably not talking about him. But he is eligible at catcher, and so we are going to talk about him. Does have plus power. The A's are just an absolute trash can fire of a baseball team, so there's no reason not to give him playing time. So if you're looking for some pop from a left-handed hitter, I don't know why the side he hits at the plate matters, but you know, uh, it's probably a little easier for left handers in that Oakland ballpark. By the way, I always forget about how much foul territory there is in that place, man. Like, what oh, a yeah. friendly thing it is for those pitchers and not friendly for those hitters. Uh, long story short, I think Sorderstrom is interesting in AL only leagues for sure. Two catcher leagues, maybe worth a little bit of a shot, but still more of a 2024 play in the long term. Emmitt
2: Sheehan was a September call-up for the Dodgers. He's expected, I don't think this has been confirmed, but expected to start Saturday against Atlanta in that sort of carousel of a fifth starter job for Los Angeles. I feel like we spend 10 minutes every show talking about who's going to rotate into that rotation (laughs) spot in a given week. Ryan Pepio, Gavin Stone. Looks like it'll be Sheehan for at least this turn, maybe for an extended stretch. And then I think Pepio gets another chance later this month. He's been the best of the bunch, though it's been a pretty limited sample for him. Um, I wouldn't start Sheehan against Atlanta, obviously. He could get the Nationals next, which would be more interesting. But again, we just really can't forecast what the Dodgers are going to do with that spot. Uh, Sheehan's posted a 2.43 ERA and 102 strikeouts in 63 innings this season in the minors, but he carries a 5.63 5.63 ERA with 30 strikeouts and 38 and a third major league innings. Uh, you know, baseball is, is hard, Chris. It's hard. Uh, and the other, the other Dodgers call up the guy we're both familiar with was Colton Wong.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: of course he had a pinch hit three run Homer in his first Dodgers at bat Friday night him, against man. Atlanta.
1: Good for LA him. was
2: down six, nothing at the time. Wong actually came on to pinch hit for Freddie Freeman as the Dodgers kind of threw in the towel on that one. This was in the eighth inning. Uh, But a cool moment for Wong, who was absolutely dreadful in Seattle, um, has only been usable in spurts for fantasy scoring, you know, here and there over the course of his career, just never fully built on that promising first full season with St. Louis, which I think was back in 2014. Um, He'll be a backup at second base. For the NL West leaders, they, and they have a lot of options at second base. Mookie Betts, obviously uh, Ahmed Rosario, Chris Taylor Max Muncy He can still play a little second and maybe even Miguel Vargas again. At yeah. some point, I, I haven't seen what he's been doing at Oklahoma city since they demoted him. Um, but he's been down there a while now. Uh, yeah. but, you know, the Dodgers love to get something out of these like tossed aside veterans. Look at Jason Hayward this year. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Wong will be a bench guy and, and a late inning defensive replacement so not a not a ton to to look into there just i don't know it wouldn't shock me if he like becomes a really good pinch hitter for the dodgers down the stretch but
1: that's nothing shocks me anymore especially the dodgers like the the reclamation projects like you said they're just so good at this or so lucky at this whatever you want to call it by the way wong was playing some shortstop in triple a as well i don't think that's a position he's going to spend a whole heck of a lot of time in at the majors but um Good for you, Colton Wong. You've you've had a fine major league career, but you will not be remembered fondly by the Seattle Mariner franchise. Mm. You were god awful. Uh last one I wanted to talk about in the American League is uh the Blue Jays got some have gotten some real help from uh Davis Schneider, which is someone that they weren't exactly expecting to be a helper, I think. A guy who might be a helper for them down the stretch is Spencer Horwitz, who by the way Every time I say that name, I just want to go listen to a Beastie Boys song because I think of Adam Horowitz mm-hmm. and just <laughs> Hello Nasty, one of the best albums of all time, uh, and also uh, uh, Ill Communication, uh, Paul's Boutique, Beastie Boys. Oh, I knew Boutique. I would talk about him at some point in this podcast, but look, this is a guy who in 107 games with AAA Buffalo was hitting 337 450, 495, just to 10 homers and nine stolen bases. Uh, but it's held his own so far in his eight at-bats, 250, 400, 250, hasn't shown a lot of power. That's the main concern I have here is that Horwitz is not a big pop guy, more of a gap-to-gap type of hitter, uh, but really strong approach to the plate. I think he does have a swing that is conducive for hitting it for average, 302 career average in the minor leagues, 407 on base percentage, shows you that he's willing to draw walks as well. And look, Toronto just has not been a very good offensive team this year I think we all thought with that lineup that they were going to be one of the better ones there's openings in that lineup there is chances for guys like Horwitz to make an impact I'm not rushing out to go get him but I think he's at least worth a bench spot in AL only leagues and someone to monitor because if he's in that lineup you can do a lot worse
2: yeah I I think actually Travis Blankenhorn is a little bit similar who got called up to the Nationals I mean he's 27 years old he's been bouncing around between different organizations but he homered in his debut for Washington on Friday also drew two walks and you know to build on a promising summer that he had with their triple AAA affiliate in Rochester he had an 877 OPS with 23 home runs and 75 RBIs across 108 games you know he could see some starts in the corner outfield and, and at first base if the Nationals want him to um, probably not of interest in fantasy, but maybe worth keeping an eye on and and a right. nice story, at the very least. Um, another one, Ryan Helsley. You know, yeah. he was finally activated from the sixty-day injured list Friday. Call him a, a September call-up, if you want to, for the Cardinals. It seems like he's he's had a ton of stops and starts in his recovery from that right forearm strain that sent him to the injured list way back in early June. You know, Did not pitch well on his rehab assignment, which was interrupted multiple times by lingering forearm issues. They took you know, a, a, a several rounds of imaging scans, and there was no structural damage found. He did pitch in the eighth inning of the Cardinals' extra innings lost to the Pirates on Friday in St. Louis. Pitched well with one strikeout and a hitless 18-pitch inning. You know basic logic in like a normal setting would suggest because of the extended absence and the worry that he still might have some kind of forearm injury that the cardinals would ease him back in a low leverage role but you know they're looking ahead to two thousand twenty four and beyond it wouldn't surprise me if they eventually wanted to put him back into the saves mix to feel good about that closer job going into next year um for now it's kind of wait and see but i'd say it's at least encouraging for what he could provide in fantasy that he pitched in the eighth inning on Friday night and and his first appearance in, what is that? Six to eight, three months. There's, there's quick math on the fly for you. Um, I, I, I bet he's, I, I bet he's going to get multiple saves down the stretch. I'll set the over under at one and a half.
1: I'll take the over on that. Um, I'm not sure if I would take the over on two and a half. I'll still take the over, uh, the, I'm okay. not sure of how many more games I'm going to take the Cardinals to win over these last few weeks, but yeah, that's, that, the problem. I, will take, that's the problem. I will take the over on that for sure. And then, real quick, also, uh, Taylor Walls activated off the injured list as well. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be the starting shortstop, it looks like, for the Rays, uh, with Wander Franco placed on administrative leave. That's as much as we will talk about that. Um, Walls has not hit great, 211 average, but does provide some pop maybe a desperation look in the middle infield type of thing. Cause he is going to get some playing time. If you're just looking for some counting stats, I do think that makes sense. It's kind of a bummer. We're not talking about names like Jordan Lawler and Jackson Cheerio mm. and stuff like that. It would be nice if we were talking about some more top prospects who are going to get that call. And I do think we have a great chance to see some of those names. I do think Lawler probably going to get a call up. He's been great in A. just had his first four hit game. Um, Pete Crow Armstrong, who we talked about a whole bunch. I do think there are some top prospect names. I think Ben Brown could be an option for the Cubs as well as a bullpen option, but at long-term has a chance to be a nice little starter. It is kind of a bummer that we're not seeing more of these young options, but at the same time, it's just kind of understandable that this is the way baseball is going.
2: What about uh, Nick Lofton with the Royals? Is there any Thing there I, I mean he was what the 32nd overall pick in the the 2020 draft out of baylor he went two for three with with an rbi double in, yeah. in his major league debut out of the dh spot which is kind of weird for a september call up to be moving into the dh role um I, i'm sure he's going to play also some some second base some third base but I don't know. He that's a situation where I could see him playing every day because wh- why wouldn't the Royals give him a yeah. shot down the stretch? I don't I don't know if he's going to like have fantasy relevance, but he had, you know decent numbers this year at A, nothing like eye popping, and didn't run as much as as he did the, uh, in the early part of of his pro career. So maybe that's right. not going to be a big part of his game moving forward.
1: I think it could be though. He's an above average runner. Um, it's funny I I meant to bring him up as well because our buddy Matthew Poliot was asking me about. Uh, whether or not he should add him or Kyron Paris. And I did actually tell him Lofton, so I, I definitely should have brought this one up. Uh, I do think he's gonna get a chance to play. Hit 28362458 458, like you mentioned, uh, in his minor league season. Playing time, but counting stats. I I think see no reason why Nick Lofton isn't going to get a chance to play. All due respect to Michael Massey, who I think is actually kind of an underrated long term option. Um and they've I got agree. guys like Nick Prado and Vinny Pasquantino. I just wanted to say Vinny Pasquantino again. And who knows when I'm going to get another chance to say it. Oh, it's just beautiful. But, yeah, I do like Lofton. It's uh, certainly worth a look in AL only and maybe some bench stuff because I believe he'll have uh, eligibility at second base and shortstop. Uh, before we close Andre things
2: up. Andre I, I don't know. It, uh, no. Gets the call to the Tigers. It, yeah, I, there's no counting stats. Production yeah. really in there. but seems like a pretty competent hitter at the very least and i, I don't know the tigers could u- at least use some competence in their in their offense
1: and, and uh, uh the names that uh, would be somewhat interesting is if colt keith were to get a call up to the tigers mm-hmm. but they're kind of infamous the tigers now there's been a few years of this now where you don't really see them bringing these guys up in september but they get a real shot to be on the opening day roster next year and i would imagine that colt keith has a real shot to be playing every day i like him a lot i'll give you a hot take i think he's the best player from arizona state that they drafted in 2020 and if you think about that mm-hmm. one that's interesting you think of, <laughs> yes that's come on man leave some mystery let people google man come on go to rotowire not everyone follows for college, college for, baseball chris everybody knows that he went to arizona state or they could have gone to rotowire.com to search for like hey who's who's this player they're talking about come on man you just got to be Great better job. about this, Drew. We're we're so late in the season. You're not better at this. Uh, let's talk about some streaming options, Drew. Congratulations, you got win number two on the season. Very proud of you. Very happy. And it's with both of our pitchers pitching really well. Jordan Wicks, whose start was supposed to be Sunday, got moved to Saturday. We decided to count it. I was thinking, oh, I'm going to get a W, but then your guy absolutely dominated. We regret the air. Who are you going with this time?
2: I'll go with Johan. Oviedo at St. Louis against his former team, um, riding the hot hand with Oviedo after he worked his first career Major League shutout on Monday at Kansas City, and he threw five innings of one-run ball against the Cardinals before that outing. Uh, 38% rostered on Yahoo. I I think this counts as a streamer. Um, Oviedo has been been very inconsistent in the majors, a whole lot of walks, but he's a great athlete. I remember his at-bats with the Cardinals when pitchers were still able to hit. He actually looked like he sort of belonged in the batter's box, which you couldn't say the same for for a lot of pitchers. Um, There's definitely some raw talent here that the Pirates have maybe tapped into or will hopefully continue tapping into and going against the Cardinals team that has given up. I like him to put together at least another strong outing. I, I wouldn't count on a shutout, but some strikeouts, you know, maybe some good run prevention, maybe gets a win.
1: Yeah, I, I like that call a lot. And unfortunately, the Cardinals have become a pretty good team to stream against. It's it's disappointing. Yeah. I, I'm not rooting against your Cardinals. I mean, I'm rooting against you as a human being, but I'm not rooting against your Cardinals for wow. sure. Uh I'm gonna go with, and this is just a shot in the dart, to be completely honest with you, because he's been terrible in his last two starts. I'll take a chance of Xavion Curry against the Rays, in part because I think he's due for some positive regression. Uh last outing he went two innings and gave up six runs. Uh, allowed a homer, one walk, and two strikeouts. Start before that, only went two innings and gave up three runs. But he was really against, good against the Tigers and a really solid uh, earlier in the month of August as well. I'll take my shot here. I just, a lot of times I like to go with streamers who are due for some positive regression. Curry's not great, but he's certainly better than the numbers that he's put up today or put up in his last few starts. If I'm being honest with you, I think Oviedo is a much better option. But if you're desperate, I think Curry's at least worth a look. Uh, That's going to do it for the roto Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Really appreciate you guys joining us. And remember, we have new episodes every single day of the week for the regular season. Uh, You can follow us on whatever they're calling that website now. I'm at Crawford underscore M-I-L-B. Drew is at Drew Silve. We ask that you please rate and review the show if you like what you're hearing. Uh, Me and Ryan will be back tomorrow, and we will see you next time.